What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision Podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is 4040. We're excited to bring you today's episode, but first, here's a quick word from one of our sponsors. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision Podcast. I'm your host, Colette Abdallah, and I'm joined today by my fellow co host, Salman Huck. What's up, man? How's it going? Yo, what's going on, man? Not much, not much. So, today's topic is kind of a recap of the NBA Finals and also a recap of the Denver Nuggets' magical and surprisingly dominant season. So, but before we get started on Denver, I want to talk about the other contender in the NBA Finals, and of course, that's the Miami Heat. So, one of the great underdog stories in sports, the first eight or seven seed, depending on how much you care about the uh, play-in game, but the first eight seed and the lowest seed to ever make it to the Finals. What do you think of Miami? What did you think of their run? And at what point did you start believing in them as a legitimate contender for the Finals? Yeah, I mean, amazing run. Uh, one of the few eight seeds to make. I think they're only one of two, maybe, if that's right, uh, to make the NBA Finals. Um, and it's just, it's just incredible. Like, every every round, I was like, ah, there goes Miami. You know, the playing game, they lost. They were like, oh, Miami's not going to make it out of the first round against the Bucks, And then... Giannis gets hurt and they they make it out of the first round and you're like okay well definitely not going to beat the Knicks and then they beat the Knicks you're like oh I guess they're in the Eastern Conference Finals but you know the Celtics will walk all over them so that was my thought process the entire time at some point Miami's just gonna give out they're playing with Jimmy Butler and Bam and a bunch of G-leaguers essentially um and so I always I, I mean even going up into the finals I didn't believe they had a legitimate chance so I, I was not a believer in Miami though I was a believer in Jimmy and Bam but it just, it just, I didn't see the depth pieces there for Miami to even like have a legitimate shot at the title. But somehow they surprised us and delighted us with how far they came in this uh, playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I talked to Sam about it in our kind of preview pod for the the finals, and I had a very similar thought process. I didn't really believe Miami the entire time. After they lost, uh, after they beat Chicago in the play-in, I was like, all right, they're going to get swept by Milwaukee. It's going to be a wash. Of course, that doesn't happen. Uh, I picked them to lose, I think, in six or seven to the Knicks. I was like, all right, I'm starting to believe a little bit more. And then I picked them to lose again in seven to the Celtics, which, I mean, I don't want to say it was close because they completely dominated game seven. But do you think they're a worthy Eastern Conference winner? Was it kind of fluky? Like we got basically, you know, Hall of Fame level performances from guys like the G League guys, right? Gail, uh, Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, Duncan Robinson, all these dudes – they carried them to the finals and they kind of fell short in the finals, but was it fluky or is it something that you think they can sustain going into next season? I, I definitely think it was a little fluky. Um, obviously, you know, they, they went into Milwaukee and I, they, they, they probably would have lost that series if Giannis actually played more than two games in that series. Right. So that's probably where it first starts off. And then, all of a sudden, Gabe Vincent starts hitting shots. Max Strauss starts hitting Strauss or whatever, starts hitting shots. Like, I don't even know his last name. He starts hitting shots. Caleb Martin starts, you know, putting up numbers. And you're like, damn, who are these guys? Like, Caleb Martin? Like, I, I remember Cody Martin or someone. Like, and I didn't, and I was like, oh, he has, that's, that's his twin, twin brother. brother. Yeah. That's his twin brother. It's like crazy, right? I was like, I've seen this guy before, but I thought his name was Cody Martin. Did he change his name to Caleb Martin? Like, it's just crazy. So I think it's more fluky. Uh, obviously, they want to build around Bam and Jimmy, right? Going into the next offseason. They probably need to go get a star. Uh, a lot of big names being thrown around Miami right now. But 
it's surprising what they did with the limited amount of players and with Tyler Harrow being hurt and Oladipo being hurt and these like other guys being hurt. And then obviously Lowry and Love are up there in age, these guys. Um, so it's kind of surprising to see those G leaguers really step up. And Duncan Robinson, who was like non-existent the entire season, started in shots. So it's, I don't think For it's sure. definitely sustainable. Like I don't mm-hmm. see Miami coming back unless they had a big star. Yeah, and there's, like I said, a couple of big names out there. we probably do a whole podcast on that. Maybe we will mm-hmm. uh, as NBA free agency <laughs> picks up. But, you know, Dame Lillard, Kyrie, who knows, maybe some other Bradley guys. Beal. Bradley Beal, Beal popped up. Car- yeah. Carl Anthony Towns, who knows. Guys that, I mean, even guys that you don't even think of as being available probably will become available at some point. So, yeah, I mean, it it was fluky in the sense, but I do think that in, in this day and age – you know, I think the era of the super team is over. So as long as you have two great players and Jimmy, for as bad as he was in the finals, he was a great player in the other series. Bam was playing out of his mind, even in the finals. So as long as you have those two guys, you can maybe find a third star or a third almost star that, that fits. And then, of course, with, with having the best coach in the league and having one of the best front offices in the league, you'll always find these kind of guys so I wouldn't count Miami out for next season, but I definitely think we'll see a very different roster uh, going into next season. So I think that's enough time spent on the losers in the NBA Finals. <laughs> so let's let's talk about Denver. So I think going into the playoffs, they were favored in every series except Phoenix, and they were the number one seed. They had the third or fourth best record in the NBA, but of course they cruised through the Western Conference before we start talking about the positives, do you think they get maybe dinged historically for how weird the Western Conference was and being able to to dominate it? No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, it was a weird Western Conference, but I mean, there have been other years where the West has been super weird uh, or where it's been like super close. Uh, so, I, I mean, Denver, Denver the last few years has been just cruising through the West and it's always kind of ended up the number one seed. So to see them actually finish it this time around is it's it's good but i think yeah i don't i don't think there's anything to ding them on right it's not like they were they were playing in a bubble or anything like that but uh the west yeah the west was super weird super competitive at some points but and but denver was always sort of ahead of everyone else right they always they always just were cruising through everyone else um but that's that's what they've been doing the last two three years so i think from a, from like a narrative perspective it might ding them a little bit because you said the West was so competitive and there was such a log jam between, I don't know, places like two and 11 almost. There was right. just, yeah. it was like you could go a week and, you know, the Warriors were the three seed and then they would drop to the seven seed and then they're the 10 seed. And every other team basically like just jumped around in the standings with the exception of probably Denver and then Memphis until they, they've had some, that, that uh, suspension to jaw and the major injury, Stephen Adams and uh, Brandon Clark. So, they were always cruising. They were head and shoulders above everybody else, and it's not a reason to ding them. Maybe, they, like I said, from a narrative perspective, at the end of the season, they were able to take it easy, and I think that's probably why Jokic lost the MVP race because he didn't play basically the last two weeks of the season. They had some really weird losses. They didn't really care, which is fine. I think if they hadn't won a title, maybe we would have looked and said, oh, maybe, you know, oh, they didn't take it seriously enough. They could have – whatever – it would have been, but the fact that they were able to close it out. So let, let's talk about their, their playoff run, right? They didn't, they cruised through the regular season and to an extent they kind of cruised through the playoff run. So is this one of the more impressive playoff runs in recent NBA history for you? 
given who they beat and some of the other things that they went up against? I, I think so because, I mean, first round they take out – obviously they didn't have Paul George, but they take out the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard. Uh, no, they beat, they beat Minnesota. Sorry, Minnesota. Sorry, my, my bad, my bad. Minnesota, so my bad. Uh, Minnesota. They beat Minnesota. Obviously, not a, not a great team struggling with Rudy Gobert, but sorry. But when they get into the next round, they they take out KD and you know Devin Booker and you know what was supposed to be a super team in in Phoenix, and then they go ahead and take out LeBron and Anthony Davis, who were surrounded by the right players, the right defensive minded guys, and so like a, a really good Lakers team that really caught fire in the second half of the season, and so that that was pretty impressive, minus you know Minnesota, but uh, it's 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 pretty impressive. Like they they lost what no more than two games in each series. Um, yeah, they lost four so games total. <laughs> yeah, so that's like that's super impressive that they just manhandled both the Suns and the Lakers and then the Heat going into the finals. So that very very impressive mm-hmm. playoff run, I would say. I mean, like, yeah, on paper you're looking like, oh, they beat an eight seed, they beat the four seed, and then they beat the seven seed. So you're like, oh, that's that's not that impressive. But just like we talked about, the the Western Conference was so jumbled up and scrambled up that at some point the Lakers could have been the four seed. Like th- with three games left in the season, they ended up being the right. seventh, and and so on and so on. So the the seeding itself, you can't really ding them on. And of course, that's what happens when you're the number one seed. It's it's been really frustrating to see people say, "Oh, the are we sure the Denver Nuggets did that great? They beat you know the eight, seven, or whatever seed." I'm like, that's what happens when you're the number one seed. Exactly. Right. I mean, and don't get and don't get it wrong, like. LeBron and the Lakers were the seventh seed only because they had such a shitty first half. They they caught they caught on fire in the second half. Like AD was dominating all those D'Angelo Russell, all the guys they added after the trade deadline. They just started dominating, and they had a defensive juggernaut of a team, and they were playing really well. So it's yeah, they mm-hmm. they may have been the seventh seed, but in reality, they probably should have easily been like a four or five seed. Exactly, hundred percent. And again, you it's not so much the teams that you look at, but each so even Minnesota, right? They were the the eight seed, but Carl Anthony Towns missed like I think half the season almost. So you yep. would think, okay, that's that's still a good team. So you can still look at the players they beat. They took out Carl Anthony Towns, one of the best offensive big men in the league. Anthony Edwards, rising star, and they handled them. Even the game that they lost, they were down I think like twelve or fifteen going into the last five minutes of the fourth. Came back, forced overtime, and then just fell short. But they beat them in five. That's just about as dominant as you can get without sweeping, obviously. And then the next game or the next series, Phoenix, same thing. They're a very different team after the KD trade. And ultimately that trade probably helped them as much as it hurt them because it took out their depth and all that. But still, again, the names you mentioned, they took out Devin Booker, Chris Paul until he got hurt, Kevin Durant, like some of the, like two of the top 10 players of the league. And then they did the same thing again. In the second, in the third round, the conference finals, where they take out that dominant defensive Lakers team that, to remind everyone, just beat the defending champions in the past round. And I know that Denver was the betting favorite. I think they had the odds um, over the Lakers. But I, I mean, if you ask public opinion, I think most people were picking the Lakers because of the names. Again, you beat LeBron, who's absolutely, the best yeah. of all time. You beat AD, one of the best defensive players in the league. So, yeah, I think it's unfair to criticize them for beating who they beat in the in the uh playoffs and then of course in the finals do you think that that hurts them in the long run maybe like 10 years from now like oh they beat an eight seed in the in the finals yeah i i I think that does because people be like oh 
They beat an eight seed. So, but people, that's what people are going to look at, right? That's what people are going to remember. People aren't going to remember that, oh, you know, Jimmy had one of the most dominant playoff runs and took out some of the best teams in the Eastern Conference all by himself. So people aren't going to like look at, like dig that deep into the narrative. They'll be like, oh, yeah, Denver, yeah, they beat an eight seed. Who cares, right? That's that's probably the narrative in 10 years, right? But right now we're like, oh, wow, like Denver beat this red-hot Miami team that took out Milwaukee, took out Boston, right? Like two of the top teams in the East. And so it's, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that they were the eight seed and they looked pretty terrible, like heading into the playoffs, but Miami came out dominant in the playoffs and no one's going to remember that. Exactly. And I think there's going to be some parallels. We'll see how Denver comes out, but I, I can, I think we can pretty safely predict that they'll have a dominant regular season. If everyone's healthy and they'll probably be the one seed again, because they have the continuity and all that. We'll talk about what's next for them, but it's it's really reminiscent of the the Warriors 2015 title, where you know people were were bagging on them because they beat some injured players, injured teams, and maybe Denver, they'll say they'll have some of those same excuses. Maybe as the momentum of the summer goes and we're further and further away from the playoffs, people might be side eyeing their title a little bit. And we can I can see them having a very dominant regular season next year. What do you think? I can see that. Obviously, it depends on the health of two of the three core players that they have, um, which you know we've seen in past seasons they've gotten hurt. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the magical components of the season that they were finally healthy with Mike Board Jr. and Jamal Murray. So, and, and it's good you mentioned those injuries because I think they're a big part of the story of Denver and the fact that they were able to persevere, they were able to uh, you know keep this core together keep Michael Porter there, keep Jamal Murray, add some key pieces around there. So which part of the story, which narrative did you appreciate the most? Was it Jokic finally elevating to all-time great status? Was it these guys come, overcoming these injuries? Which one was it? Yeah, I, I think a little bit of both, right? Like Jokic finally, you know, putting the Denver team on his back, taking them to the finals, winning the finals. That was a great narrative. And also, yeah, just it was good to see Jamal Murray finally healthy and Michael Porter Jr. not not uh, missing games and not missing playoff games with the back injury that that happened to him the last two years, and just like really contributing and and building a solid core. So it was, it was good to see Denver kind of build internally, right? Like kind of what the Warriors did back in 2015, build internally around the guys that they had. Uh, so both both narratives really really were good and and really worth uh, rooting for. So that's I, I think that's like. Like, I don't know anyone who could sit here and be like, oh, I'm not happy Denver won the finals. Like, unless, I don't know, for whatever reason you hate the Nuggets, I don't know why you would hate them, hate this version of the Nuggets. But it, it was good to see that, right? Like, it was good to see that. The NBA kind of needed this story. I think only Sixers fans hate the Nuggets, and it's more of like a MB Jokic thing because they're a little <laughs> upset about some of the talk that's come out, like, oh, MB stole the MVP kind of thing. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I know we're Warriors fans. People might be tired of hearing the comparisons, but – it is a very similar story where you have the, the the core three. It's a organically built team. I mean, even Boston would have been the same thing had they won the title last season. It would have been the similar story that they drafted these guys, they built this team organically, and they added key veteran pieces around it. Which you know that I think that's the story of of the NBA the last few years more than the super teams and all that. I mean, of course, you have some exceptions to the rule where the Cavs won, the Lakers won, and the Raptors won. But even the Raptors, a lot of their players, aside from Kawhi, were were drafted by the team or at least traded for pretty early on in their career. So I think it's the super team era thing might have been a little overblown. 
but at the same time, I mean, the fact that Denver was able to keep these guys together, overcome their playoff disappointments and all that, it's just, it, it's a great story, like you said. I think, the, like you said, the NBA did need that, and it's similar to the Giannis, uh, him winning the title and all that. So did you see the stat? I think I shared it, that there's been seven different NBA champions in the past 10 years, and in David Stern's era, there was only eight different NBA champions. What do you wow. attribute some of that to? What do you think? Uh, I mean, I I think a lot of it is like there's more parity in the league, right? Like stars are able to move easily. They can go to different teams. So you're seeing more competitive teams. Uh, also, like, you know, in this day and age, it's very easy to get your name out, your brand out. So stars aren't worried about, oh, I, dra- I was drafted in Indiana. I can't become a star, right? Like we saw Paul George become a star in Indiana. Um, so guys aren't worried about, oh, I need to go either to the Knicks or the Lakers. or Like they don't need to go to the big name teams. They can stick around with the smaller teams. Or Kawhi is like going to Toronto, right? And who would have thought Toronto would be a market anyone wants to go to back in the day? Um, so I think a lot of that is like m- player movement is more free but I think the NBA might have made a mistake here with the new CBA and trying to restrict that. But we'll see. Um, I mean, but but it, apparently the new CBA is more favorable to the smaller market teams. So maybe, maybe it's they're they're just trying to take it away from the bigger market teams and create even more parity. But I don't think the NBA needs more parity. They have quite a bit of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I, I did a, a short earlier this year. It's an unprecedented parity in the NBA. I think it was the first time in like 20 years we haven't had a 60 win team, or we had one 60 win team which is not the norm. Usually we have two, maybe even three in most years. Yep. You should go check that out, guys. Uh, so let, let's shift gears a little bit. So you hinted at this, and you said that you didn't believe in Miami going into the finals. So going into the finals, what was your prediction, and what were some of the matchups that you thought would favor Denver, and if and did they ultimately favor Denver? Yeah, um, I thought Denver was going to sweep this. <laughs> and that's that's what I that's what I predicted before the finals. I thought Denver was just going to sweep close. Miami. Yeah. I got close, gentlemen sweep. Um, you know, I think I think the I think it was just Miami just had to fight so hard, so hard to get to the finals that they just looked exhausted by the time they got to the finals. And that's that's what I thought exactly was going to happen. Jimmy's going to be tired, Bam was going to be a little bit tired, but like their role players are going to be tired. They're not used to like playing this many games and this many nights and then keeping up that level of performance. And so one, it was, they're going to be tired. And then two, who's going to stop Jokic? Bam can stop them. Who else is going to stop them? And, and you saw Miami do that one game where they were like, okay, you know what? Forget Jokic. Let every, let's go focus on stopping Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. And it worked for a game, but, but then Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Got, got it going again. Right. So it's, I, I just didn't see how they stopped Jokic. And if they couldn't contain one of Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray, they were probably going to lose this series. So I think that's that's where it was. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard for you know Jimmy to be an all-world defender and all-world offensive player in the same series. And so if he had to go stop Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray, then the, he's probably not going to have that offensive game either. So that's mm-hmm. that's kind of how that series went, right? Like we, we saw Miami yeah. just looked exhausted. That, that's a good point. I, I did not think of that angle coming in. I mean, I had Denver and six. I thought they would, you know, six is still pretty good because you're winning both games at home. I thought they'd, you know, lose uh, the two in Miami or whatever, some combination of that two, and then end up closing it out uh, in game six in Miami. So you obviously were a little bit closer because you had the sweep. And essentially they did sweep them. There was like a five-minute stretch in the fourth quarter of game two where it completely flipped and all of a sudden – Miami couldn't miss and Denver couldn't hit anything. So 
it, I think it worked out closer to your in your favor. But that, again, that's a good point. I didn't think about the exhaustion aspect of it, and I wonder. I think Denver would have won regardless, but maybe if yeah Miami sweeps Boston or they win in five instead of going to seven, you know, you think they would have had a better chance against Denver? I think so. I think so. I I would have I would have said then okay maybe Denver in six right like like you said because they just. I feel like that Boston series took a lot out of them. Like they were up th- three nothing, right? And they're like, "Oh, we got this on the, we got this. We, we're gonna wrap this up." And then all of a sudden, Boston takes three straight. They're like, "Crap, we gotta go play a game seven. Um, And Denver's like been chilling on like two weeks of rest. Uh, it's a that's a huge thing where you gotta where you have to play three more games than your opponent, right? Like, and your your opponent that's coming up is resting for like two weeks. So I thought that was a huge that would be a huge swing in that series. Like, but again, I think. Even if that happens, I still see Boston. Uh, sorry, I still see Miami. Not even, not even, not even really having a chance. Like maybe, maybe they take one more game. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. And I think, yeah, because there was a point where obviously Denver swept, and there was a chance, a very good chance, opportunity for uh, Miami to sweep, and they both would have been on like 10, 12, game, 12 days worth of rest, and all of a sudden. They're playing a game seven two or three days before having to fly to fly to Denver. I think they flew to Denver that same night. So yeah. yeah, maybe that the miles did add up, you know, both literally and figuratively for the team and they just they wore down. So do you think Boston would have given uh Denver a better chance or a better fight? I think so. I do think so. I really do think so. Because I mean, Boston's problem is they're just inconsistent or for whatever reason, they seem disinterested at certain times in the playoffs. Like, it just didn't make any sense. They're like, oh, we've been to the NBA Finals. Who cares about the Eastern Conference playoffs? Like, that's what it felt like most of the time when they were playing in the playoffs. Um, But I definitely think, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, Al Horford, Robert Williams, those guys would have given Denver a little bit more run, right? Like, you could have Robert Williams has a better chance of maybe containing Jokic a little bit more. Uh, but you know, definitely Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum would, would try to, would be able to contain Jamal Murray and maybe Michael Porter Jr. Right. So that maybe gives you a better chance when you have two wings who can defend versus Jimmy Butler and that's it. Um, and then you're hoping for Bam to, you know, at least slow down Jokic versus like, oh yeah, we can throw Robert Williams and Al Horford at Jokic and slow him down a little bit. And then we can throw, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart, right. They, They have so many defensive players that they could throw at these guys. Um, and then, you know, their offense was not a problem. So we definitely would have seen a better series or a higher scoring series. I felt like these, the series was like super low scoring. Most of it, uh, it was for Miami. Compared, at least, yeah. It was for Miami for sure. I mean, but I feel like did, I can't remember if any team cracked over 115 in any, any of these games, maybe one game they cracked over 115. Um, so yeah, it's, and I think it's, Miami was held under a hundred in every in every almost loss. Almost every other every loss, right? Yeah. So it's 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 insane, right? Like I definitely I, I think we definitely get closer games and higher scoring games, and maybe we're go talking about a series that's going seven games, right? Uh, but unfortunately, Boston could not overcome that three zero deficit to Miami, and it, I mean, mm-hmm. and they just look disinterested in that Miami series for the first three games. Like it's just like, what are you guys doing? Like what, what what's going on? Yeah. Like, did you guys I, forget I probably, how to play basketball at some point? Like, yeah, I think if if it was Boston, I, I I don't know if it would have been a better series. To be honest, I think on paper, yes. If we're like doing a two K simulation or something, you could, for sure for yeah. all the all yeah. the reasons that you outlined, right? You're like, all right, you got two bigs, 
So and Boston is just bigger in general. They have more more size at the wings. They have two two legitimate bigs that you can throw out there. Uh, I think just the the coaching matchup was such a big was so much in favor of um, Miami, obviously in the conference finals, and I think obviously it would have carried on in the finals if you're thinking about Michael Malone against Joe Mazzulla. Like I think the coaching would have made up the difference, right? It's like. And that's, that's why that's, that's why it, obviously Miami ended up winning was the fact that you know they have they're pretty close in terms of talent, especially if these guys the G League guys are playing out of their minds. But the coaching difference was just so massive that they couldn't overcome that. So again, Boston on paper, sure, but this iteration of the Boston team, the way it was coached, and the fact that they were so reliant on the three point shot. And the fact that, you know, kind of like Miami, but maybe even to a greater extent, it's like if the threes aren't falling, that's it for the the Boston yep. offense. So, yeah, that's fair. And just to, fair. to go back to your point, yeah, no team reached 100, even 110 points except for Miami in game two. They won 111 to 108. And the rest crazy, of the games, right? yeah, Miami, 93, 94, 95, and then 89 points. Wow. So, wow. Crazy. I think the underrated aspect of Denver was their defense. And I think that's something that, yeah, we didn't really take into account and probably for good reason, because in the regular season, they weren't a a great defensive team, but then a lot has been talked about Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr. Taking this defensive leap in the finals. And they've compared them to what Andrew Wiggins was doing in the playoff run last year. So I think, yeah, the, the defense was the underrated aspect. And, of course, even Jokic, right? I think he gets a lot of flack for his supposed bad defense. But when I see that, like I, the way people talk about his defense, it's like you're talking about him on a switch on an island against like a smaller player. And it's like most bigs in the NBA can't do that anyway. How many guys can guard, I don't know, Steph Curry on the perimeter or uh, Kyrie or Kawhi? Yeah, like two three like yeah very Anthony few. Davis yeah maybe Draymond maybe. like prime Draymond back in the day yeah. like that's it so it's a short yeah. list and I, I think what this playoffs has ultimately proved to me with, with Denver and we'll talk about Jokic in general but or in specific for his his performance but I think it's just sometimes it just comes down to being bigger than the other team if you're yeah. bigger and stronger eventually you know, obviously you have to have some offensive skill too, but I think that that makes a big difference. What do you think of my of my theory? Just be bigger and stronger than everybody else. I think, yeah, for the most part, that's true. Um, I think the Warriors disproved that a little bit back in the day, but, uh, you know, Charles Barkley's like, oh, teams that, that shoot can't win an NBA Finals, and the Warriors came in and disproved him, right? And Charles Barkley's of that, I feel, is of the same belief that if you're bigger and stronger, you, you will win eventually. Um and that's the thing, right? If your threes aren't falling and you're not, you don't have like, you know, two of the best shooters of all time on your team, you probably are not going to win an NBA Finals, right? <laughs> um, so I, I agree with you. You have to, you have to be bigger, you have to be stronger, uh, or you got to have out of this, out of out of the world shooters like Steph Curry and Klay Thompson on your team. Exactly. Like the the Warriors are almost the exception that like proves the rule, where it's like yep. for the most part you got to be bigger and stronger. But if you got, again, like you said, two of the best shooters of all time, you can overcome that. If you got two guys shooting 40% from three or whatever, then you can overcome that difference in size. But I think for the most part, and if you look at Denver, 
from one through five, like they're for the most part, they're bigger than everybody they're else. Big. Yeah, like Jamal Murray, people were talking about, oh, Dennis Schroeder is going to guard him, or uh, uh, D'Angelo Russell is going to guard him in the conference finals. I'm like, he has 30, 40 pounds on both these guys. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's like he's like not, six foot four or something like that. He's he's a pretty big dude. Yeah, he's six three, listed at two fifteen, and you're, he's going up against uh, Truder, who's you know six two, one eighty five, and go you go up and down the list or up you know up the list. You go you look at KCP. He's a big dude. Michael Porter Jr. He's a legitimate six ten. You have Aaron Gordon again six nine six ten, and of course Jokic, who's I think he's listed at six eleven, but whatever. He's a seven footer. As far as I'm yeah, concerned, he's, so yeah. he's he's like yeah. seven two, man. I don't I don't think he's like six eleven. <laughs> it's, it's absurd. Exactly, he's got quick hands. There was a lot of times where he was making those you know the swipe downs in the in the paint. He's not a traditional rim protector, but he did he did his job. He worked hard, and I think we've talked about it plenty of times. Like defense is like I don't know fifty percent effort and just the intelligence to read the play. And obviously, he's one of the smartest players in the in the league, one of the smartest players of all time with his court vision and all that. So. Let's go to Jokic. Let's finally talk about Jokic. He led his team in points, rebounds, and assists, and he's the first player to ever do that in NBA playoff history. Where does his finals performance – I mean, we don't have to compare it to everybody else, but to you, is it one of the best of all time, and where does this place him historically among some of the great big men of all time? Yeah, I mean, definitely on an individual level, this was a really, really good – you know, NBA finals performance, like easily one of the greatest that we've seen in, in recent memory. Uh, I mean, I, I can't, I can't remember being, seeing a guy so dominant, like, like, like Jokic was in the, was in the finals. Like I, no one comes to mind, like no one's dominated, like quite like him. Like you might have to go all the way back to like the prime Spurs, Tim Duncan, maybe like that's the next guy that comes to mind that dominated in the finals like that. Um, like that's that's crazy, right? So I think definitely it is one of the greatest performances we've seen in the last easily twenty years. Um, and in terms of his place, like all time, like how I, I think this just elevates him, man. Like I mean, he was easily probably you probably talking about him as one of the top thirty greatest players of all time. He's definitely in that conversation, in the top fifteen, maybe top ten now after this. Um, so he's he's up there now. Definitely, and he's shown that he can get things done, and he's just got to keep building on that, and he'll be easily one of the top 10 players of all time. Where does he rank for you in terms of the other big men, period? Like you think about – Big men, period. We can, even keep it, we can even keep it to guys that we've watched because obviously people talk about Wilt and Russell and Kareem. Yeah, like, right, right, right. We're, right, we're right. in our mid-30s. We, we know about them theoretically, but guys you've watched from like Hakeem, Shaq uh, – David Robinson, Patrick yeah, Ewing, know, just yeah. Compared yeah, to some of those, guys, I mean, where do you put him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say he's easily one of the top five big big men that I've watched. Um, I would put him above guys like Ewing. Uh, I would say, you know, he's probably he's probably a step behind like the guys like Shaq and Hakeem a little bit. Maybe he's actually pretty close in skill set to Hakeem, but Hakeem was more of a defensive player than Jokic. Um, so I would say, yeah, easily he's. Top five. I think he's better than Ewing. I think he's probably in that tier with Hakeem, David Robinson, Timmy D, and Shaq. Like he's probably that's probably like the top five there for me. Um, I wouldn't. I don't think there's any other big man that I've watched I would take over him. But obviously, you could people say, oh, Kareem and you know, Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell, right? If you take those guys into consideration, maybe he drops a little bit. But but if we're talking about guys we've watched playing since the '90s, he's definitely top five for me. Yeah, it's hard to crack that top five, like, all-time list. I mean, 
it's hard. It's like hard a, for sure. Yeah, it's going to take like a significant number of championships. I mean, he's 28, so who knows? Maybe he plays another 10 years. I could also see him playing like two more years and then retiring. But he's he's competitive. <laughs> he's like he's secretly he's not secretly he's like quietly competitive. He doesn't care about the flash and all that. But you see how hard the guy plays. If you you don't play that hard, if you don't care. And exactly. I mean, just a, a quick recap of some of his stats, dude. So in these finals, in the five games, he averaged 30 points, 14 rebounds, and seven assists, and a block and a half. And this was on basically, well, I mean, I, I, we could say 60, 40, 83 shooting. And he had a week, couple weird nights with the free throws, but 58% field goal percentage, 42% from three, and 83% from free throws. So just like in terms of pure raw numbers, just incredible stuff. And I think he probably would have averaged a triple-double. There was a couple – the last two games, I want to say, he had pretty low assist numbers, and I think that's just because Denver just wasn't hitting shots. And yeah. they were like, yeah. I don't know, three for 18 or something from three. So, <laughs> yeah, it just – it you know, it, it's – we can talk about or we can think about some of the great all-time like finals performances we've ever seen – you know, Dirk in 2011, LeBron in, uh, was it 20, uh, 2013 or 14 or whichever year they, they beat the Spurs, I think was an all-time performance from him. Steph Curry last season, Kawhi in 2019, and that's easily up there. You know, we don't need to sit there and, and rank them. Maybe we can at some point on a podcast, but yeah, for this sure. is easily, easily the most, one of the most dominant big man performances in recent history and probably all time in terms of raw statistics. So, they have this guy, this all-time great player. They have a good core around him. What's next for Denver? I think they're in a pretty good place from a salary cap perspective. They have, obviously, Jokic locked up, Murray locked up, Michael Porter locked up. I want to say uh, Aaron Gordon. I think KCP has another year or two on his deal. I want to say the only, like quote-unquote, key piece that's, that's in flux is Bruce Brown, who has like a $6 million player option next year. But if they don't worry too much about the first tax apron i think they're in pretty good pretty good shape for next year but what's what's next for them what do you think yeah yeah i i mean obviously they they committed a lot of big money to these guys that you you brought up like aaron gordon and kcp like i think aaron gordon's like 23 million a year not not bad given the value he provided yeah. them this year but i think it's hard for denver to add they need to add depth, right? And they're going to lose guys like Bruce Brown. So they'll have to look for guys who can come in on the vet minimum, give them depth. Who knows? Maybe they go go get a guy like Chris Paul somehow, right? Uh, maybe he wants to join a contender with them. So maybe they have an opportunity to go add guys like that. Um, but, I mean, they've definitely shown that, hey, we have our core guys in Jokic. We have Murray. We have MPJ. We have Aaron Gordon. We have these guys. We have KCP here for defense. Um so those are guys you can build around, right? But obviously, they don't have much tax. They don't have much room to do that. Maybe a mid-level exception, I think, is what they have. And then vet minimum. So they'll have to go do that. I think Bruce Brown is gone for sure. Uh, he's going to opt yeah, out. Yeah, he has a, because... a, basically a $7 million player option next year. Yeah, so, he's going to decline it. I don't know, it, right? He, he I mean, could. People are like, oh, he not. really increased his value. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I think he's of the mindset, I'm going to decline. I'm going to get paid more in the open market, right? Because I showed I showed up in the finals. I showed up in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That's that's probably his thinking. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I think Denver, 
Denver just has to hope some of their draft picks that they're drafting later in the rounds, like a guy like, you know, they got to hit on a guy like Jokic again somehow. Uh, if they, you know, that's like maybe a that's once, that, a, once a, like, right. Or, or maybe even like, maybe just like just good role players that they hit in, in the draft. Right. Um, so they, I think they have the core, they're committed to keeping that intact. Kind of like what the Warriors did. They don't have to go swing for the fences and sign a big star or make a big trade. Uh, they just have to ho- keep their core, hope that core stays healthy and mm-hmm. add rotational guys around them. Yeah, I mean, Bruce Brown talked about maybe he 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 could stick around. He probably is going to decline that option. Could sign some you know long term deal with Denver for more total money, just maybe less per year. Because I think he understands what his role is. He understands that his role is maximized on a team like that. Uh, you expect some progression from Michael Porter Jr. and then of course Christian Brown, who was playing. A lot, yeah, lot more really than well, we yeah. expected. Yeah, and he's you know a, a late yeah. first so round that's, pick. That's so that's a you know that's a solid rookie that they hit on right there, right? He's gonna he can be a role player, to come off the bench type of guy. That's that's probably more of what Denver needs to find those guys that can be there for the long term and on cap friendly contracts, and then add some vet minimum, some mid level exception, and Denver's rolling again, right into next season. Yeah, they and they even made a trade during the finals. They made a couple. Yeah, uh, they like swapped with, a bunch of picks, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With the thought of, you know, I think Woj described it or whoever broke the news as some of the uh, less favorable uh, picks that the that OKC currently owns. So basically, you know, late in the first round, non-lottery, maybe early second round. And those are the kind of guys that for this team, that's who you want. You don't want a guy in the top five, top three that's going to be making $10 million a year because you can't afford that. Be nice to have that, but then you got to make some tough choices. Uh, and of course, a team like this, with a coach like this, and an infrastructure like this, they can survive on getting these contributor role player guys, these sort of maybe more, a little more one dimensional guys that they can fit in. So I've also been hearing a lot that because of the new CBA, guys like maybe not Chris Paul, but some other veteran guys that are not getting big paydays may choose to come to Denver because, of course, a little bit of ring chasing element. But also the fact that they'd be playing with a guy like Jokic, who is one of the best distributors of the ball of all time. What do you think about that? Do you think some of these guys might take a discount, come play for, you know, not quite the vet minimum, but for a pretty cheap short-term deal with Denver, maybe just a one-year with a player option or something like that? What do you think? Yeah, 100%. I could see someone like Chris Paul doing that, right? Um, He's like, oh, well, I'm not winning a ring here in – in Phoenix because Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are like 75% of our cap space and we're not, we don't have any depth. Uh, so I could see him like trying to jump ship and playing with a guy like Jokic and Jamal Murray and being a six man uh, there in Denver, right? Like he has to probably accept a reduction in role um, and a reduction in I salary. I really hope and that then, doesn't happen because I've I have to root against Denver. So I hope it doesn't happen. <laughs> hey man, there's rumors that Chris Paul might sign with the Warriors. So prepare yourself mentally for that. I've heard that. I'm, I'm like choosing to ignore that. I don't. I, I think the more likely scenario is he stays in Denver or um, in Phoenix for a Phoenix. lot less money. But I think it's more so like some of the middle class types. Like you think of some of the guys that hopped on late to the train to like uh, some of the contenders, like a Malcolm Brogdon or Divincenzo, Gallinari, guys like that that are were like more the second or third wave of free agency. They might realize all of a sudden, like, yo, the well has dried up. Let me go play in Denver for a year. It's a cool city, cool place. Of course, great team, defending champs, great player of all, you know, one of the greatest players of all time. So 
I think that move makes sense. Uh, but okay, final question. Yep. What do you think are the chances of this Denver team becoming a dynasty? I know this is kind of like a radio hot take question where like, <laughs> they'll never win another ring. This is it, one and done, or oh, they're going to be the greatest dynasty of all time. Like, let's find a middle ground here. What do you think are the chances of that? Yeah, I mean, I think Denver has the potential. Obviously, they 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 have the potential. They have three guys that are you know well under thirty that are part of their core. I mean, Aaron Gordon's the fourth guy. You can consider him part of their core. So they have a solid core in place. A lot of it's going to depend on the health of that core, right? Like. We've seen Michael Porter Jr. miss uh, a lot of time with back injuries. We've seen Jamal Murray tear ACLs, right, and miss time because of that. We've seen Aaron Gordon not be the healthiest, um, but in the recent years, he's been pretty healthy. So, and then you know, there. I mean, any injury to any one of those guys, and I don't, and I don't, and, and even Jokic, right? If Jokic goes down, they're screwed. So, it, it just it just takes one injury, right, to derail a dynasty. And I think. That's always a possibility, but if we don't see those injuries, I think Denver has a good chance to become a mini dynasty. I wouldn't say they have a really long window. They're not going to dominate the NBA like the Spurs did back in the day. Uh, I don't even think they'll do what the Warriors have been doing, like be relevant for the last like eight, nine years. I think, you know, we'll see a good, another another three, four years out of Denver, really good three, four years um, as contingent on them being healthy and they'll make runs at the finals these next three, four years. And I think then after that, it's going to be a crapshoot for them. So I think we'll see three, four years where they're really, really good and, you know, making runs at the NBA finals and maybe winning a few more, one or two more championships here, um, all contingent on health. But I think that's, that's, that's the high point, right? Obviously the low point is these guys get hurt and they, they don't even make the playoffs. Um, but uh, I, I think it's there for the next three, four years, for sure. I, I totally agree. I think especially next year, you think about, the other teams in the West and how much uh, uncertainty there is in the rest of the conference, right? I mean, even like the top two, three, four seeds, who knows what's going to happen with John Morant. We're still waiting on the suspension for that. Uh, the Kings might be some of their, one of their biggest rivals in the West. If they can build on this momentum, maybe replace Harrison Barnes for more competent starting for a uh, small forward. And then you look at the Warriors, who knows what's going to happen with them. They're, they're already like, going to get crippled by this tax apron situation. So they're going to have to make some tough decisions. The Clippers, same thing. The Lakers, LeBron is 38, 39 next year. You know, who knows what they're going to do. So it's, it's probably the Kings and then Phoenix, if they can figure out the rest of their cap situation. I think if, if Chris Paul does come back on a super cheap deal, which I think he said uh, is how, a possibility. How old is Kevin Durant? How old is KD? He's 35. He's 35. 35. Okay. So he's yeah. got a couple, he's got a couple, two, three more years in him. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't been like the most durable could, either. Yeah. So there, yep. there's a concern. But I think if you had to rank it, probably the other – everyone else in the West, I mean, Dallas, who knows? Portland is, is in flux. Utah, eh, they got they got their couple years away. Minnesota, same thing, going to be in mm-hmm. flux. So I think if you – Okay, see, a couple years away. Exactly, yeah, from being like a true, true contender, maybe a year or two exactly. away. Yep. yep. So in the West, I think they cruise next season. I mean, even in the East, there's just so much uncertainty – with all these teams, who knows what's going to happen with Milwaukee, with Boston, if they keep this core, Jalen Brown sticks around. Of course, Miami's always lurking because of Pat Riley and all that. So, yeah, I think I, I think in the next few years they have a great chance because they have these guys locked up, and as long as you have your core four, the rest of it can the rest of it can get figured out. So, I'd give them a pretty good chance 
of making a, a little run at a dynasty here. So thank you guys for checking us out today. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you guys. Please make sure to leave us a review and follow wherever you found this podcast. Make sure to check us out on YouTube. We're doing a lot of cool things with video. So check us out there. And make sure to check us out on the rest of the social media platforms at 4040 Vision Pod. Thanks, Lamont. Appreciate your time, man. Peace.